1: That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the Filet-O-Fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week's episode is brought to you by Academy Games and their new game, Ages of Mayhem, Pride of Babylon a new tactical board game for two to four players, is now on Kickstarter. Based on the video game in the St. Rose universe, Agents of Mayhem Pride of Babylon pits Mayhem against Legion in a head-to-head 3D game with a destructible play area already funded and currently unlocking stretch goals. Agents of Mayhem is now on Kickstarter through February 27th. Welcome to Board Game Anonymous, episode one fifty-seven. If you like, or if your friends like video games, try out these other games.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip syncing. Find
1: out more at dicetowernetwork.com. Board is the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is
0: Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, how's it going, my friend? Good, better, healthier. I'm good.
1: <laughs> you survived.
0: I did it.
1: Yay! I beat that I beat that virus. Yeah. Of course you did. You put a lot of hours in Pandemic,
0: so it had no chance against you. Right? Whoever said board games wouldn't help in real life? (laughs) Wait, I I lose a lot at that game. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, you had a lucky draw. It was fine. It worked out in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Easy mode. There you go. All right, so we got a great episode for you. Uh, Everything's doing well. Anthony's doing well. We're going to talk about video games, which doesn't sound like a typical cardboard topic. But let's be honest, we all play video games, and especially our friends who are trying to get to tabletop games. So for our feature review, we're going to talk about all the brand new games that will help you get your different types of video gamers into board gaming. Right, Anthony?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good games out there, and we're going to go through some of the different genres of video games. And let you know uh, a board game that kind of captures some of the essence of that.
1: Well, I also wanted to mention this week, if you're on Board Game Geek as a member, they're currently running their awards nomination period. So if you go to Board Game Geek at BoardGameGeek.com, you'll see on the top right corner, there is a little banner button that you can click for nominations. And then you get to pick all these different categories for like Game of the Year and Best Card Game and Best Strategy Game. And one of the possibilities there is best podcasts. So if you're listening to us, and if you do love us, give us a nomination so that we can get our board gaming out to more people out there in the industry.
0: Yeah, do it. Go do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as tactful. I'm just, I'm just gonna say it. Go do it. It's not... It'd be the right thing to do. I think that's that's what it comes down to. <laughs>
1: There's so many great podcasts out there, and we would just like to be nominated along with the rest of them. So go over there, push the button, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at the award ceremonies. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for our shameless plugging. Let's get on to the episode. What's the uh, question of the week?
0: All of the shameless plugging? Come on, Uh, (laughs) man. Well, at least for now. (laughs) All right. All right. We'll come back to it. All right. So I asked everybody, uh, and this was actually one of the better questions we've had in a while. got a lot of good answers here. I'm actually going to write a blog post up with some of these answers because there were so many and I can't read them all here, but I asked what one piece of advice would you give to someone brand new to gaming? Uh, And a lot of people had some really good stuff. Most people had more than one piece of advice. So (laughs) that's why it's so long, Uh, but that's great because there's a lot of things people need to know. Some of which I wish I had known as well. So. Uh, We'll kick things off with Jerry, who had four pieces of advice, and he says, try before you buy, seek out groups, Uh, don't ignore the older games, don't fall victim to hype, Uh, to help with point two, flat out ignore Kickstarter games for a while, and then play what's fun to you, but also push yourself to try those boring economic games, dry euros, or complicated heavy games. Uh, You may find that you get excited by some of those, um, which is definitely what I felt. Like I, I avoided a lot of these games that everybody told me were so hard. For a long time and it turns out those are the games i like best so (laughs) i just needed to be experienced in them Um, willie says be the person you want to see at the table this hobby is filled with the opportunity for negative experiences the best way to ensure your experiences are positive is to always engage in the positive behavior yourself if you expect it of yourself you can expect it of others So that's fantastic advice. 100% agree on that. Martin says, play and test games before you buy them. he was burned early on by just buying games with a gorgeous table presence, only to find out he really didn't like them. Um, Also, that applies to games where everyone raves about how good it is. Uh, He mentioned Small World. He bought that based on everybody's raving reviews. And in the end, he didn't actually end up liking it very much. Mm -hmm. happens to all of us. But especially when you're new to the hobby, it can happen a lot. So definitely agree on that one. So see here, Eric mentions checking the rating on BoardGameGeek before you buy. There's a lot of uninspired games out there. So new gamers in general, I mean, get as much information as you can. Don't, don't just buy the stuff that looks cool because you might find a game that looks amazing, but then you find out it's, you know, an iterative version of something much better or um, a, a not quite as good version or second edition of something else that you should buy instead. Um, there's so many freaking games out there. So it's all about education. Get to know the hobby. Get to know what's out there. And uh, hopefully you'll find some good stuff because of that.
1: Yeah, I think I heard at some point that typically the way it goes as far as purchasing board games is someone buys one or two games, loves them, and then goes out and buys like three or $400 worth of games <laughs> and then comes back down to earth and buys a couple of games. And I guess that makes sense because when Anthony and I started the podcast, it was all about this wondrous addictive habit of purchasing and then collecting board games. And it's just like, it seems like an endless kind of process of like wonderful expectations and then like falling down and going, Oh, that wasn't really that great. And then like, Oh, this is a new great, great game. I'm going to buy this one too. Oh, and then trying to capture and get all of the different promos and expansions. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it, that's for sure. I mean, especially cause like, yeah, when we started this podcast five years ago, I was like, so many games and I owned you know three and now <laughs> I own way more than three and instead sure. of thinking what will I buy it's what am I gonna get rid of so it's a very different place to be don't put yourself in that position sooner than you need to it's true
1: I think for me my first kind of large purchase was the idea that I was going to buy a diversity of different themes I was gonna buy a sci-fi one a fantasy one a ancient civilization. I'm just going to buy a little bit of everything so that when you go to the game night, you're kind of like set up for any group and learning and understanding board game groups and how different they tend to be from group to group. And the situation that you'll find yourself in is, as far as like what table space is available and how much time do you have and how frequently do new people come and how heavy are the gamers that there's so much complexity just from that group of people who could be playing with you that that really has to be taken into consideration sometimes almost first before you purchase these games because I have games in my collection that I just haven't been able to find the group or the right number of people the right scenario to play with which is a shame because they're probably great games but just haven't gotten them out yet
0: oh my gosh tell me about it I got Star Wars Rebellion sitting here going on two years still haven't played this freaking thing because i just don't have the right group or people around me who want to play so i got jason making fun of me and he doesn't even like star wars because he's played it more (laughs) than i have so um yeah like invest carefully and know know your group that's for sure um like i said there's a whole bunch of responses here if you go to the facebook group you'll see all of those but i'm also going to write up an article i will probably snip a bunch of these um you know for people who were are cool with me sharing them out And add those to the article, because I think there's a lot of really good advice here.
1: Yeah, I'd love if we could do this as a bonus episode, too, because I think distilling all that wisdom would be really beneficial to people. And I think that's what we've been trying to do over the last five years, trying to give little bits of wisdom as, as we struggle with the hobby as well and letting people know about our experiences, because hopefully it's saving you a few bucks here and there. Hopefully it's making your experiences better. And hopefully it's helping you bring board gaming out to more people. All right. So if you would like to also be part of that great conversation, as always, we have all of our social media where something is always going on, especially Facebook and Twitter, where the question of the week always pops up. But don't forget, as Anthony mentioned, he's going to be writing an article up for this. So go to boardgamersanonymous.com for that article and many, many more. We just recently did our top 100 board games of all time. That's up there with a whole bunch of new comments. So, Jump in and see what we're talking about, and uh, especially our Patreons, because our Patreons are getting brand new episodes, and we're actually going to be recording one later, so jump on there, and for a small amount of money, you're getting additional content each and every month.
0: Yeah, yeah, we get a bonus episode every month. Um, You get to tell us what you want to hear, which is cool. You're in the Slack group, so you can join the conversation. Lots of cool stuff, and uh, more cool stuff coming in the not-too-distant future as we kind of brainstorm new ideas, so... Uh, definitely hop on there if you're interested on that all right anthony so let's get on to our acquisition disorders so anthony what are you
1: looking to get to the table in the future
0: all right so this week i'm kind of trolling myself um because <laughs> there was a couple things i was looking at and i was like oh maybe i'll talk about this maybe i'll talk about this but this is one that like i've had a couple people online just kind of give me a little bit of grief about and i haven't actually officially reviewed uh Zaya. we we played it last year um, uh-huh. at dreamation and i hated it i hated it more than i've hated almost any game I've ever played it was <laughs> <laughs> it was long it was boring it was just aimless i i don't know we played it wrong or whatever but i had a horrible time so i didn't really review it because i'm like so many people enjoy this i'm like i feel like i'm missing something right so fast forward a year and the Zaya, Embers of a Forsaken Star expansion, is back on Kickstarter. This was already on Kickstarter, I think, a year or two ago. Um, But it's back up because now they have, like, a Missions and Powers mini expansion and some some new stuff they've added. And the reason that I've put this on here is because everybody I've talked to uh, in the solo gaming space, but also just in general about this game, says that the expansion adds so much to it. that It adds missions, it adds solo variants, it adds um additional ship abilities and events and basically gives the game a little bit more direction if you want it um and kind of guides you a little bit bit so there's an economy board now it just all this stuff that they've had kind of added in to kind of flesh it out a little bit so it can still be this crazy open sandbox which i would never play uh or it can kind of be narrowed down and focused a little bit and the solo mode especially I'm, i'm interested in seeing how that works now will i purchase a crazy expensive game that i already had a horrible experience with no but <laughs> i'm hoping maybe someone i know will uh let me borrow the game or we can get it back to the table at some point um and get it taught properly uh this is one of those funny games that it's not like oh i want this and i need to have it it's man that was a bad experience but i feel like i should give it another go and this is a good excuse as any so It's kind of one of those middling uh, acquisition disorders, but it's just there in the back of my head and it keeps coming up uh, and people keep mentioning it. And I feel like I, to do the game justice, I should play it with, you know, the best version of it at least one more time. And then (laughs) if I hate it again, then I will, I will review it on here. You guys will hear about it, but, (laughs) but yeah, embers of a Forsaken Star. I always thought this thing looked cool. I just, yeah, that first play. Sure. All right, so a game that I want to talk about is another
1: Kickstarter game. This game is Finca, board game with fruit. (laughs) Uh, This came out way, way, way back in 2009, and it had a little bit of an impact. It was a Spiritus Yaris nominee, and this is a, I would say, a light to medium weight euro, and it's about collecting fruit and then fulfilling orders. So not a complex euro theming mechanic type of situation. But it's actually a pretty interesting game. And in fact, I had an opportunity to play this twice already. Someone actually had this in their collection. And the new Kickstarter was coming out. So people were really interested in seeing how this plays. And basically, you're looking at an island nation. And farmers are growing different types of fruit on this island. And you are working with the farmers to collect the fruit. And then complete these different orders. So you have this little island nation. And randomly, you're going to put out these different orders on each of the different areas, and it'll be like a little stack. And then on the bottom will be the final token that will trigger a bonus token that will give bonus points, five points, based upon whoever has the most of that particular fruit on that token. Now, in order to get the fruit, there is going to be a rondelle, which is a big kind of windmill fan blade system where you'll place down your farmer... And at the initial setup, you'll get one fruit to kind of start with based upon where you place it. And then you kind of do this system where you're going to move around the, the rondelle. So basically, you can pick up oranges, and you can move it based upon where you are on that rondelle. So if you're by yourself, you can only move it one. But if it happens that there are other meeples on there, you can move the number of spaces equal to the number of meeples on that space. So there's three meeples. You can move three three spots. It has to be exact and then when you land on a different spot, depending on how many meeples are there, you will collect that many of that particular fruit. So if you land on a spot with four meeples, you might get four oranges or four grapes for that situation. So it's definitely on the light to medium side. It's a, it's a, it's a quick game. I wouldn't say it's a filler. You could probably knock this game out maybe about 40 minutes. There's a little bit of a very small amount of AP dealing with the rondelle as far as This one allows me to move two. The other one allows me to move one. And this one allows me to move four. So if I move that there, I'll get this. And I'll move that there. And then basically, you're just fulfilling these contracts. And if you get one to six, as far as one contract wants one fruit, and then all the way at the end, one contract wants six different fruit, you can get a bonus token. And then there's little special tokens that are one-time tokens that you know gives you a special ability, but you're losing points at the end of the game. It's a fun, fast game. I really did enjoy it. It's around $40 currently we're dealing with euros here. So depending on the market, it might be a dollar or more or a dollar or less, but it's definitely something you should take a look on Kickstarter. They haven't reached their funding goal yet. They're about 14,000. They need about 18 and change in order to reach that goal. And this campaign wraps up on Wednesday, March 14th. So definitely something to check out as far as the game review is going to go. I'm going to give this game a buy as long as you can find it previously used. If you're going to back the Kickstarter, Check on the different stretch goals because that might make it a little bit more worth your while. All right, so that's everything for Acquisition Disorders. Now to our At the Table. So, Anthony, what have you gotten to the table this week?
0: Alrighty, so not a whole ton, but one new game I did get a chance to play is Uwe Rosenberg's second game in his Puzzle Trilogy. Yeah, there's a Puzzle Trilogy. <laughs> I love it. I'm just uh. <laughs> The Puzzles! Um, this one's called Indian Summer. So it is, uh, it's got the polyominoes, it's got the tile board, it looks very similar to Cottage Garden, or Patchwork, or some parts of Feast for Odin, but it is its own unique game. Um, I was actually worried it would be kind of too similar to Cottage Garden, since it is part of this trilogy, but it's, it's fairly unique, um, at at least as far as tile-laying puzzle games go. The basic idea of the game is you're going to be taking these different forest tiles, different types of leaves, of three, four, or five uh, squares on them and you'll be placing them on your personal board all the personal boards are different I think the game comes with six of them and they're each double-sided so there's 12 different possible configurations and the way it works is you start the game with five of these tiles next to your backpack the order that they are in next to your backpack is the order you have to play them so there's a little bit of programming here um, when you start the game it's random but later on you'll be kind of able to manipulate that a little bit as you pull new tiles so you place these tiles down on your board, and each of the tiles has a hole on it. And the hole, if it covers one of these special icons, you get that token. Uh, and the tokens are blueberry, which lets you um, you spend the blueberry, and you can take new tiles from the, the supply. So the reason this would be useful is maybe the tiles that are there right now are more useful to you, um, versus waiting for your personal supply to completely run out, which means you automatically refill. So it's kind of a, a way to manipulate a little bit. Um, there's a nut tile this allows you to swap in and place a squirrel down on the board and the squirrel just covers a single square that helps you fill in those holes there's a mushroom that lets you steal tiles from somebody else which is a really good way to get the tiles you need Um, and then there's a feather which you can only really get one or two of in the game and it lets you take two turns uh, back to back so which is extremely useful so you're going to place these tiles out and every time you cover one of these little sectors there's a sector of six you're going to get those special icons that I, I described, and then you can actually get more of them as well. So the way you get more of them is you take animal tiles off of the center board, and you cover up these holes. So if you have put holes together in the right configuration, you can put an animal tile on top that per- covers it up correctly um, and matches up those different holes, and then any of those icons you cover, you get them again. So there's a way to get them all twice, which is kind of cool. Um, some of the animals also have an extra bonus one on them. So you go around and do this and do this and do this until one person has completely covered their board, and then you finish that round, compare the scores, and see who has been able to complete it most efficiently. Probably it's just going to be one person finishes because <laughs> it's it's pretty difficult to get them all out there as efficiently as possible. It's a fun game. It's a little bit more puzzly and thinky than Cottage Garden. Uh, Cottage Garden started to feel like a little bit of a slog because you kind of fill and refill that board you know half a dozen times um, as you build up points this game is not point based it's more of a race and so you're just trying to be as efficient as possible and manipulate the the different tiles that are available and use your special icon your special tokens um, effectively you can actually cash in your tokens as well so there's a chart that shows you what they're worth but you can turn two blueberries into one nut or two nuts into one mushroom and so on so it's pretty cool actually like I like it more than I like Cottage Garden. Um, Cottage Garden was fine, but not a buy. Um, this one is closer to a buy, I think, for me, just because it's going to have more replayability with the 12 different possible tiles to work with. Um, the solo game is actually very interesting. And uh, in terms of playing with other people, there's a lot of interaction for a Rosenberg puzzle game. Um, you can steal those tiles from each other. You know, you can take from the central supply early if you use your blueberries um so there's a lot of jostling for position in that way um, which i found very interesting you know it's a little bit more like patchwork in that way so yeah indian summer is a solid game uh i like it quite a bit i'm interested to see what the third one in this trilogy looks like we talked to bonacore on the other podcast um for episode coming up in a week or two and he mentioned that there's even more puzzle coming after the end of this trilogy. So uh, apparently Uwe really, really, really has a lot of ideas for puzzle games. That excites me. I know it makes a lot of people uh, groan, but hey. Uh, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but on the plus side, he seems to release one regular game and one puzzle game every year. So at least it's not eating into the regular games. Um, These are just bonus cherry on top for people like me who love it. So yeah, Indian Summer. If you like the puzzle games, if you liked Cottage Garden, if you like Patchwork... You will also like this game. You should check it
1: out. Is it one of these situations where it's just literally he was at a board game store. They happen to also be selling puzzles because, of course, they are. And, like, a thousand-piece
0: puzzle fell into his and he's like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. I feel like whatever, like, when he was building A Feast for Odin, which is where this all started, sure. he's like, this is kind of a cool mechanic. And then he must have, like, written down a hundred ideas and now he's just going through them. Sure. I don't know. It's I like it. I understand why other people are like, really? Still more? But, hey, we still got forward last year. We're getting um, his new one in Iceland this coming year. So he's still doing other Euros. So at least he's got both of us covered, right? All right. <laughs> we'll let that go for now. All right. So
1: the game I want to talk about, speaking about Polyamonos, is Santa Maria. Now, I could go in <laughs> in depth as far as the theme is concerned here, but there really isn't too much depth here. This is a Euro game where the mechanics really do shine. You're basically colonists that are establishing colonies. And that's pretty much it in as a nutshell. Basically, you're going to have your colony board where you're going to have certain sections of this board already developed that's going to allow you to get a number of different things as far as resources are concerned. So wood, sugar, gems, grain... And by picking up these resources, obviously, being a Euro game, you can convert these resources into victory points. Now, that's not the main part of the game. Basically, the colonist board is going to allow you to, as the game goes on, pick up additional polyominoes in order to fill up your board. Because what's really going to kind of like get you excited is there is dice drafting in this game. So at the start of each round, you'll roll your dice along with these white dice that will set up a pool of dice that you'll be able to select, and on your colonist board, there are going to be symbols for all the dice that you could be able to draft. Now, based upon the pips that are showing on the die that you drafted, you're gonna be able to activate everything in that column. So based upon where you set up these polyominoes in the game, you'll be able to activate a lot of different things. Now, your dice, these blue dice that you get, will be able to activate different rows. Now the challenge is, when do you activate what, at which point, because it is possible that one die might block out the other die, because once you activate a building, it's done for that round, and if you have activate in such a way that cuts off those other buildings, then you're not gonna be able to use other dice to activate it, so it's a little tricky as far as kind of figuring out which should happen first, But it's pretty straightforward, because basically you're getting resources, you're getting conquistadors that are going to give you an opportunity to get additional gold for that round, and gold is a wild resource in the game. But also, if you're highest or one of the highest on the conquistador track, you're going to score additional victory points at the end of the round. There's also a prayer track in this game, because you're going to be able to recruit the religious monks in order to gain. in order to score additional victory points throughout the game or resources or final end game bonus scores. So this prayer track is going to allow you to do a lot of different things because at the start of the game, you're not going to be able to use these tokens to get these ongoing bonuses, end game bonuses or one-time abilities. But moving at that prayer track is essential if you're going to win this game. Now, additionally to all of that, there's also a shipping track. So you want to be able to pick up the ships and the shipping track is going to have a resource course in order to ship those particular goods. But once you pay the resource course for those goods, you'll be able to flip the tile over, it'll become a ship, it goes onto your board, and then at the end of each round, you'll be able to score additional money, additional conquistadors, additional additional prayers, and additional happiness. Now, I've been talking about victory points throughout this whole game, but in this game, Happiness is victory points. So, strangely enough, there's these little pink circles with these people that are victory points in the game. It's a little odd. It, it's kind of doesn't really fit with the game so much. That's going to be the token for your victory points throughout the game. This is a medium weight euro that I think everyone's going to enjoy. There's a lot of opportunities to score victory points throughout the game. The polyomino element isn't too crazy. There's basically only two shapes and you pretty much could put together something. The variability as far as the special ability you get to start the game and the ones that'll be available for everybody and the final additional endpoint goals, they change each and every game. So this game has a lot of replayability. Santa Maria is a buy and I think it's something everyone will enjoy. It looks simple. It looks kind of you know, simplistic as far as the format's concerned, but it's definitely a very
0: deep game and I think it's something you'll enjoy. Yeah, I definitely want to check it out. That's two weeks in a row you've thrown polyomino at me. <laughs> Making a list. And I,
1: and I know that you're a big fan of that. I'm not the biggest fan of this. So when I saw that that was an element of the game, I was like, Ugh, I don't know about this. But it's actually a lot of fun being able to kind of build up your little polyomino tableau in order to activate it based upon pulling the right dice at the right time. So a lot of fun to this game. Yeah, let's check it out. All right, so for our feature review, we are talking about if you happen to, or if your friends happen to like video games, I mean, seriously, who doesn't? We wanna tell you which games would match it up perfectly for what particular video games they love. Now, you're gonna be surprised, but Anthony and I had a prior life as video game players. What?
0: <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> we're gonna lose so many listeners (laughs) no no everybody else in the same boat
0: you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do guys it's it's
1: (laughs) It's true yeah we used to play a lot of video games and we definitely played all these different genres i guess still in some respects is still a big
0: huge rts fan how about you anthony yeah i don't know a little bit of everything i was real real big into rpgs in high school um and college Civ builders always been one of my favorites and then uh platformers really like i've always enjoyed like the mario type stuff so um rts i like in theory but i'm really bad at them so sure i I don't know (laughs) i think i just get impatient see
1: See, that's funny because i always get impatient with platformers Mm. because i don't like precision jumping Mm. and i just i'm just glad that life is not built around precision jumping (laughs) so you know a real-time strategy that happens all the time you know hopefully. Not any of the other crazy ones, but city buildings, civ buildings, you know, 4X strategy. I don't know. Every time you're out there in life, you might have to do some tower defense. But, yeah, I don't want to have to absolutely positively jump a certain amount of space in order not to die. <laughs> it's escapism, man. It's video games. It's not real life. I guess. Who thought that would be a mechanic? Jumping. You know what, man? Jumping, that's gonna be the thing. We're gonna be everyone's gonna be crazy. Who thought about I'm jumping? Like first mechanic. Come on. I know. I used to play pitfall where you have to jump on the alligators' oh, eyeballs yeah. so that you don't get eaten. So yeah, it goes it goes way back, man. Even way, way further than Mario. Yeah,
0: well, you know, I guess it showed my age. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> ah, that's good. All right. So Anthony, why don't you take us through all of these different video game systems? And the board games that match up best to it.
0: Yeah, so some of these, there's a lot of games to choose from. Some of them, not as many. It's a little harder to translate. But uh, we're going to share some of the ones that we think are good fits. And then there might be other ones as well that you think would also be a good fit. So if you have other options or other things that you think would be um, good recommendations for people in these categories, let us know on the on the regular places, Facebook, Twitter, and all that. Uh, so yeah, speaking of platformers, we're going to start off with uh, the platformer genre. Now, as you might imagine, a game about twitch reflexes and jumping um, doesn't have a ton of board game analogs, but uh, one that I think does fit pretty well is Escape the Curse of the Temple. Um, this is the one. If you've never played it, you've probably heard it somewhere in the background. Uh, it's got that crazy soundtrack and it's a freaking timer, and everybody's always in a rush, and it's very tense. It's like a ten-minute game, but you got to get into the temple, you got to get out of the temple, and it's you know. It's it's not quite a dexterity game, but it's definitely a reflex game. So it definitely fits that kind of a platformer style. The next one here is racing games. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to look at this. But I think the the game that I always thought felt the most video game-ish, um, at least from the, the simulation side of things, is Thunder Alley. Uh, and then there's Grand Prix, which is also built on the Thunder Alley system. And I think they have like a post-apocalyptic one they're working on. Same system. So... cover all your racing genres that way but it is a basically a nascar simulator um from gmt and it's it's a really good you know implementation of a racing game and there's no dice so for those of you who don't like the d30 of formula d you got thunder alley um the arcade style so arcade is just you know that old style run and gun you know i i almost put bullet hell here but it's not quite that uh but similar to that, we've got Battle at Kemble's Cascade. So this game is very clearly designed to look like, you know, a Galaga or the old school style of like spaceship against the aliens on the track. Um, You kind of build out the track. All the artwork is very evocative of those like 70s and 80s arcade games. Um, And it's a pretty good game on top of that. So uh, all the better. Um, For MOBAs, uh, there's a lot of games that have tried this in the recent years with the popularity of games like League of Legends. Most of them aren't very good, uh, but Rum and, Bio, Rum and Bone Second Tide is actually pretty good. Um, it fixes a lot of the problems of the first edition and feels quite a bit like what a MOBA feels like when you're being successful in those games, so uh, it's definitely one worth checking out. Now, speaking of real-time strategy, RTS's XCOM, the board game, uh, is a perfect implementation here, really, because it it takes kind of those ideas behind XCOM and the, the real-time strategy elements of that game, and it puts it into a real-time board game using an app. So uh, it's kind of got that stress and pressure of you know, these, all these things are happening at the same time, and you need to make sure that you are managing all of them at the same time. So um, very interesting take on that. First-person shooters, again, a few games have tried this. Not very many of them pull it off. Uh, most of them end up just being kind of adventure or dungeon crawls, like Doom. Uh, But Adrenaline from Czech Games uh, does a really decent job of kind of replicating what an FPS is like, you know, the run and gun nature uh, of that genre, especially the multiplayer side of it. So that's Adrenaline. Uh, And there's an expansion for that coming out soon too, some more content. On the puzzle side, and we're talking like your, you know, your match four type of games, we've got Potion Explosion, which is basically one of those games turned into a board game. So that was an easy one, (laughs) and I'll take the freebie. Uh, yeah, Potion Explosion is, is Candy Crush in a uh, with marbles. So definitely check that out if you like those kind of games. On the adventure side, there are dozens of adventure games, um, hundreds of adventure games, dungeon crawls and all the like. But for this one, I was kind of looking for something that kind of that exploration and puzzle element feel, so kind of like your Zeldas. Um, and Legends of Andor definitely kind of fits in that bucket, I think, uh, very well. So it is adventure and dungeon crawly and lots of uh, enemies to fight but you also have to be very you know careful and economical about when you fight and how you fight and trying to figure out this puzzle uh, behind the game. Um, Now more on the hack and slash side of things we have our action RPG genre and this is where you got your like your descents and stuff like that and um, I've actually put in sword and sorcery for this because I think it takes what descent does and ramps it up a little bit and adds more depth and fixes some of the, you know, kind of the the more technical sides of things. Now, if you don't want a sword and sorcery, you know, shields and high fantasy type of game, there's a lot of games in this genre. Um, You do have your Descent. If you like Terranoth Universe, you've got Imperial Assault. If you like Star Wars, uh, lots of stuff here to choose from. Um, JRPG, so the Japanese style of RPG. Now, not as many games kind of fit this uh, bucket. Um, But one that is very interesting that I always found a lot of fun is Pixel Tactics. This is a game that very specifically took from that genre both the tropes and the style and the presentation and in all the various versions of the game, um, pulling in different things to the point where you have some, like, Japanese video games in the actual game. Um, It's definitely worth checking out if you like those kind of games. Uh, Stealth games? uh specter ops is a really good one um this is from plaid hat games and this one uh it's got the hidden movement element but it has that kind of feel of trying to you know stay away from everybody you are playing one versus many as you would in most of these um hidden movement types of games so not everybody can hide doesn't really work but this is one of the more interesting ones and it does feel video gamey uh getting into the strategy side of things again we've got city builder uh, there are a lot of good city builders out there, but the one I've always liked the most, and I think we've rated the highest on this podcast, is Suburbia. Uh, it's a tile-laying game, lots and lots of tracking. You have to keep track of all these different tiles and how they interact with each other and everybody else's. Um, but it definitely feels like kind of the push-pull of you build something, and it has a negative effect over here. You fix a negative effect, and now there's a negative effect over here. Um, A lot of things to kind of keep track of, very similar to SimCity. Civilization Builder. Now, this is a category I felt like I could have put a dozen different games, but I think the one that feels the most like Civilization uh, or, you know, any of those other kind of Age of Empires, those kinds of games, is Clash of Cultures. Um, Now, unfortunately, the original Clash of Cultures doesn't have the different races in it. That comes in the expansion, which is incredibly difficult to find, Uh, but the game itself has the feel of the video game in a way that a lot of these other board games don't. Civilization, the board game, is a close second here. Um, That that one felt too easy, though. 4X Strategy, uh, it has to be Twilight Imperium 4. I mean, that's the the granddaddy of 4X Strategy. It's the biggest, the beastliest, it's the most interesting and evocative and thematically rich game uh, in this genre, but there are dozens of them. There's a lot of games to choose from here. If you like your more, you know, uh, chit-heavy, uh, war game style. You've got Space Empires 4X. If you like the Euroe style, you've got Eclipse. Um, lots and lots of stuff to choose from here. And most of them are space-based, but there are also some, uh, some really good uh, fantasy-style ones like Rune Wars um, that you can choose from as well. Tower Defense, uh, we have Stronghold, um, the classic two-player uh, kind of tower defense uh, game. Um, for MMO... Uh, massively multiplier online games. Um, this was actually tough at first, and then I, I remembered Kingdom Death Monster is pretty much an RPG distilled down into a board game format. It's got a lot of tracking. It's got a lot of things to keep track of and upgrade and build over time, but you are building that settlement and growing it, and it has that feel of this long, long-term thing um, that you invest a lot of time and energy and blood sweat and tears into to make into something better you don't have your individual character like you would in an mmo but it's got a very similar feel to it survival horror uh dead of winter definitely uh tops this one um it's not you know like terrifying like a a resident evil 7 or something but kind of has more of the feel of like a resident evil 4 with some goofy stuff and there are a lot of crazy things going on out there but it's really just kind of about the people and trying to get through these situations and then the last one here, uh, fighting game genre. Uh, I wanted to mention Puzzle Strike. Now there's a lot of games out there that kind of emulate the fighting game genre. I've got like the Exceed fighting system, uh, Yomi, um, Codex is a recent one. But Puzzle Strike is um, chip based. You're building these different combos and doing these different cool things um, based on these chips. And you have these little Chibi characters that look like they're out of kind of the 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 that chibiized version of street fighter um the, the gem-based game um a lot of fun and uh it does kind of have that while it is more than a two-player game it does kind of have a good back and forth feel to it and that is lots of different video game genres and some board games to check out with them so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris
1: and this is anthony and we'll save you a seat at the table